talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. one and all and welcome to the dropped kickoff for another week um just me again this week nick h was going to be joining us but unfortunately he's had a problem with his microphone so it'll just be me this evening however we have a very special guest for us this evening um for those of you who didn't see even though it is very much the talk of uh, the rugby world uh we have a final that the super rugby final this weekend with the crusaders facing down the Haguars. Um, in Christchurch. Um, and so uh, here on the line to chat to us about uh, the Haguari's first ever Super Rugby final is the one and only Paul Tate. Paul, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Good to be with you, Nick. Yes, yeah. Thank you very much for taking the time to have a chat. And I really want to kind of uh, get really into this because it, the, the game um, on the weekend, it was absolutely outstanding for the Haguari's. In the end, a really clinical, you know, they ran away with it, 39 to 7. Tell me about the Jags. I mean, we had you on the podcast last year and you talked a lot about how um, the, the Jags are a really important part of, of kind of the need for professionalism that is, that is coming through in Argentina. How did, the, how did, um, did you see this coming? Was this something that was always in the post? No, uh, not at all. Uh, we always wanted, of course, to see them doing as well as they are now. However, uh, the start of the season, the, the, the desire was to repeat uh, the, the playoffs appearance from last year and try to do better. But getting actually to the final, that's probably surpassing the uh, expectations, I'd suggest. Uh, it's been strong uh, all season. I think the South African Conference, for, for instance, was anyone's uh, for the taking. Probably uh, six, six or seven weeks before the end of the season, no one could really predict what was going to happen there. So just getting that run of wins that they did and then making it all the way was really, truly tremendous. And uh, there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I mean, there are obviously people suggesting that this is the, the test side. It's close, but it's not the actual test side. There's going to probably be four players based abroad who are going to be starting in the World Cup matches. But uh, also, you're, you've, you've been having some, some injured players so we've got, uh, for example, against the Brumbies, we had uh, one of the centers was playing wing. Uh, on the other wing, you probably had a third or, or even fourth choice player starting. And a number of other positions, we've been having uh, injured players. They've, they've even been playing rookies regularly throughout the season just because that's been the needs of the team. So they've done really well in that respect. Mm, yeah. So you really think that it's this season has really been what's been most impressive has been the depth? In a way, yeah, I would say so. The depth, the player management's been tremendous. I think Gonzalo Casada's experience in France really stood stood firm in this regard. I mean, he he coached uh, Racing '92 and Francais and Biarritz, and going from the week in week out home and away environment in France, where you must win at home and you often sacrifice road matches, but just that idea of transferring. Uh, the roster from one game to the next as required. So 
he was able to really plan this extremely well when he named his roster, for example, for the tour to Oceania. Mm. Uh, there were people saying, "Oh, this 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 is not this is not right." They're, they've got an uh, inaccurate uh, makeup in terms of the second rowers, flankers. They're not going to get through the tour. They're going to need more players. But yeah, he knew exactly what he was doing. And and we saw, for example, rookie Lucas Paulus going and actually starting two of those four matches. And so it was it was totally uh, to me something which was mapped out. It wasn't a case of let's get there and let's see who, who was feeling the best. It was a case of everything mapped out well in advance and the pieces really f- fell into place. So uh, his ability to do this also was really evident, I thought, against the Brumbies on the weekend because just just watching the, the, the game back and seeing how uh, every time there was a, a player committed to a, a tackle or a ruck, they were able to reform immediately, and Brumbies just couldn't do anything about that. Uh, the one try that they got was the one time they really broke the line in that regard. And so this is a system which is really highly effective in working together. Yeah, and I kind of want to like go off this a bit if I can, and really kind of talk about how the the Haguaro's game structure has been this season, because. Um, and it, and how it really kind of came to fruition against the Brumbies because it, the, the watching that game it actually seemed a little eerily to me. I mean, because I was as much as my head was it was in my hands, it reminded me eerily of how of what the Brumbies did to the Sharks the week before. Really, there was a lot of forward dominance. There was a lot of uh, of clinical play in the forwards. I'm watching the Jack of uh, the Jaguars this year. I mean, I think. Traditionally, uh, South American and particularly the Pumas have always been very strong in the forward pack. But there's also, like you mentioned, there has been, there looks like there is a increasing amount of of depth and versatility in the back line. Um, would you say that it was that the forward play was where the game was won, or do you think it was more the fact that really all parts of the game just really clicked? Yeah, I would. I, I think that uh, the 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 backs, first of all, truly. Uh, we're, we're talking about, if you look at the, the starting team from, from a year ago, uh, realistically, we're looking basically at the same centers and fullback still there. Uh, the rest of them have all, have all changed, so that's a, a case of either uh, players have left or players have been injured or simply players have improved. And so the backs really what we what we saw against the Brumbies was not what you, what anyone would have probably suggested would be uh, the starting seven players at the beginning of the season for a semi-final. Uh, the forwards it's similar too because for example you've got rookie Michael Vivas starting now as as a loose head, which is really interesting because that one position has been something Argentina has struggled tremendously with ever since the last World Cup because. Just losing Marcus Ayesa uh, because of the first of all the selection policy of of not predict, not selecting anyone uh, outside of Argentina for 2016 and, and 17, and then his his actual retirement it meant that they just had nobody there, and so they're having to convert players from tight head to loose head, which didn't help, and just simply didn't have anyone of note there. But now we've got a guy who's actually uh, holding that position down ahead of. A, a player with 50 caps, who is, of course, uh, now Teta Chaparro, who converted from tight head to loose head. But uh, So we've got two options in that regard now. Uh, Santiago Medran doing really well at tight head, and 
I mean, Mario Ledesma is going to have him and and two guys from from uh, from the UK and France. So Figasho and Herrera, they're both going to be there for the World Cup. So that's genuine depth there. So this this whole issue of the scrum going backwards in Argentina not being what they used to be, I think we I think we can scratch that off. Mm-hmm. The World Cup, they'll, they'll be really strong there. Um, also, the the sec the second row extremely reliable. Just uh, the Brumbies, of course, had their own horror show at the lineup, but also Haguadas were able to steal the ball in addition to poor throwing and and, and jumping. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'll also say that the 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 back row uh, is really working well. Uh, you're not having specialists in the, in the traditional sense. So I mean. Uh, Crema, who's tr- normally starting a, in a seven shirt, he's he's a second rower by nature, but uh, he has the speed and the mobility to play flanker. He's doing really well in that regard, kind of like Scott Fardy, I would suggest, mm-hmm. did all those all those years for the for the Wallabies. And uh, uh, Javier Ortega, this he's playing eight. He's also a, a flanker. He's even started a test at lock. So they're they're getting uh, players not. Uh, to work effectively, not necessarily in terms of what each position requires, but to getting the best out of them for the team. And uh, it's that's really a hallmark, I think, of, this, of not only the season, but the, the process they got going on. And we're, we're seeing really uh, uh, good, good options coming through both the development system of the Argentina 15 and also the under-20s. So there's a lot of reason to think that this, this will kick on and this team's going to be uh, just as good after the uh, World Cup in Japan. Mm, exactly. Uh, what I did, the thing kind of going going back to that, particularly that forward play, was it was what was kind of telling for me um, was that it, the the nature of of the Brumbies capitulation because it was effectively the meeting of two international front rows. I mean, here in Australia, the Brumbies front row, for example, has been widely talked about as the front row we should be taking to the World Cup. And they were <clears throat> shown up um, very much so by uh, by the Jaguaris front pack. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I, I thought Rory Arnold and Alan Alalatoa uh, were very good. Um, but overall, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a team which was uh, very much out-muscled. Mm, exactly. And, re- and really, it was... It, I thought I th- well, that's what I thought was most impressive about about the performance. I mean, just kind of got quickly looking at the team in general, um, the Jaguares team in general. I mean, the one player that I've been really impressed by is Orlando in the centres. Um, particularly this, um, I think he got a double. He got two tries on the weekend as well. I've been really impressed with his style. Is he a player that's come up through the Argentine system, or has he kind of been there for a while? Yeah, he he's been there for since prior to the past World Cup. He he missed out on it because of a knee injury on going there, mm. um, and he's just one of those got one of those uh, players who ha- has really got better, gotten better with age, and so he's much better now than than uh, two years ago, for example. And also, Kisada really has has gotten the best out of him, mm. like no no coach has been able to. Um, he, he was even playing wing back in the, in the 2014 time for Argentina as a fringe option. But now he's definitely a center. And I was really impressed with him this season, not only at outside center, but at inside center. He started 
the couple of matches there when De La Fuente was missing. And that was really interesting because they were starting him out of position as ahead of guys who had been the starter in that position in prior years. And uh, the result was tremendous because you're able to put him there with Moroni outside him. And that's just, to me, it clicked. This, this is definitely the way Ledesma was going to uh, approach the World Cup, I would suggest. Get Orlando obviously is the 13, but when need be in against, for example, Tonga or the United States in the pole matches, you can put Orlando at 12 and uh, Moroni at 13 or Juan Cruz Machiet at 13, for example. And that's going to, to benefit the team tremendously because of having the ability to, to therefore take a uh, extra player. For example, Argentina have only taken two scrum halves in the, in the past four World Cups, which, which nobody should be doing. So if you've got a player like Orlando who can actually cover uh, multiple positions and not, not in terms of cover, but star there, that's really going to help them out. Yeah. And it's, it, I think this is kind of a bit of a, a good segue because, I mean, the, the vibe I seem to get, um, correct me, but that things are looking very optimistic right now. I mean, looking at that game, it, I think it would have been hard for any team to travel uh, to um, to Buenos Aires for that match because there was a real sense of the crowd was really into it, that you could tell at the end of that match that that win really meant something to a lot of people. How is the feeling in Argentina now about rugby, particularly with the uh, Jaguares success? Oh, yeah, it's probably at one of the all-time high points. I don't want to say the high point because, uh, I mean... They were getting front-page press, uh, taking all the space during the World Cup in, in 2007. But we're talking here about a professional team. This is, this is in a country which was always against that. And in addition to that, this is in Buenos Aires. And Buenos Aires was uh, the stronghold opposed to professionalism. It's uh, potentially uh, got the strongest of any amateur rugby competition in the world, which is the Urba top 12. Uh, and you get strong followings at club matches week in, week out. I mean, so, someone in Sydney will, will, will speak highly of the amateur competition there. It's the same thing going on on Buenos Aires. It's just even, even better. And uh, so getting out of that shell and, and embracing professionalism has been extremely uh beneficial and really oh, I, I did note that in the final because you had a full house 31,000 there you could see the players pre-match uh, through the tunnel of the uh, just that wave of, of support from their teammates not playing the final just welcoming them onto the field it was just something we'd never uh, seen seen before in, in a match like this and so definitely the, the uh, gamble if you want to call it has paid off and there will definitely be a push for a second team. Uh, we're not going to be having it for a few years yet, but you could probably look at uh, before the next World Cup, if they don't have one uh, in the plans officially, it's not going to be too far off. Oh, so do you, do, you think there's, do you think there's enough depth and potential for a second Argentinian team? Uh, right now, you've got the basis to, to start there. You don't have the basis to field the team yet. Uh, they've got the Jaguares 15 as the official development side, which is playing in the first division of the Curry Cup, which starts this weekend. Uh, 
that the same idea is the form of Pampas 15, which became Haguaris. So you have that going on as the essential blueprint to, to move on to make a second sign. But Argentina has uh, domestic issues at the moment. You've got inflation of about 45% to deal with. Uh, when that hopefully stabilizes after the election this year, hopefully they can then really look at, look at uh, for rugby anyway, getting uh, the, the necessary conditions in place to, to start working towards the second side. Because, I mean, uh, they definitely have the means of doing that. It's, it's just financial. These conditions they have at the moment are not ideal to, to, to really uh, convince backers that it's a good idea to do it now. So when we can have a more uh, stable economy going on, then, yeah, I, I think it's going to be the conditions to make it happen. It is interesting to see that to to hear about that depth and the, and the fact that that is that that is kind of being talked about, and so we just kind of will, will look forward to to this weekend um, to this coming weekend because um, as great as the the run is that the Jaguars have had, I think, and even more the fact that the last three matches out of four they've won in New Zealand, um, there are a few assignments tougher than going to Christchurch to face the Crusaders in a final. Um, I, it was the, the match against uh, the Hurricanes was a really interesting match and a highly entertaining one with the Crusaders getting up 30-26. Um, I want to know your, your thoughts on this on this upcoming game. Where do you think it'll be won and lost? Where do you think the Jaguars may have uh, an advantage over the Crusaders? Where do you think Oh, and the and and the upside. What are your what are your thoughts on this upcoming game? Oh, first of all, the Crusaders will have to be favourites uh, to win the match. Of course, there's there's no arguing against that. But that does not, of course, mean that they're not vulnerable in any way, or that Haguaris do not have the means of winning the match. They certainly do. We've seen that. Uh, I mean, we, we saw that the Chiefs dismantle the Crusaders in Fiji, uh, for example, this season. The Chiefs went to Argentina extremely uh, well organized uh, for their quarterfinal, and uh, they were on top, uh, especially in the opening half. Ultimately, Haguaris had the means of getting it back and, and to win that match, and they did so through their forwards. and And I think Argentina, uh, Haguaris side, they they have uh, very much a powerful unit there. Uh, People often uh, look for individuals to shine, but uh, this this team they've really got a group group of players effectively working well together, and I think they'll be able to to try to bully the Crusaders in this regard, like they they did against the Brumbies. Obviously, it's going to be an entirely different uh, opposition in that regard, but we're, we're going to uh, have the means of of generally causing uh, disruption to the Crusaders there. And well, if they can do that, then do that, then definitely, I think there's a chance. Um, just holding firm and keep getting that defense well organized. That line, if they can do that, then they're within it, within a, within a shot. I would suggest. It was actually interesting uh, watching that other semi-final um, because it, for the Hurricanes, really did expose um, a lot of chinks. Um, in the Crusaders, uh, in the Crusaders' armor. I mean, the Crusaders jumped out to a very early lead, but then the Hurricanes really kind of fought their way back 
and he, even though they ended up you know not being able to to close it out and manage to pull off a win um it did seem to like they grinding they did manage to grind the balls back and it, it looked like their forwards were quite strong do you think um the uh, the Hags will uh, take take advantage from seeing the the game plan that the Hurricanes uh, used and maybe applying it to the the Crusaders for that final. Yes, definitely. And, and Casada really talks about this. He he studies in depth the opposition and and looking at how they can exploit them and what they need to do to to uh, to, to hold them off when they are going to have their threatening opportunities. And, and I mean, for example, that the first try, which rescored in, uh, in the final in the semifinal, uh, that was just one moment of pure genius. And so you're going to have to have a structure in play, which you can see that coming and, and fight it off. And it's, it's fair to say that that's that's what they've been doing during their uh, streak this season in Super Rugby. That's how they've been able to, to get these results. They've uh, conceded very few tries. Uh, compared to in, in prior seasons, certainly, and also compared to the, the start of the season, that, that turnaround following the the loss to the Stormers, which they had, where they conceded many tries. Since then, they've really got the structure in place to not only score themselves, but but hold off the enemy attacks. And so, if they can really pr- pressurize the the Crusaders' halves, I think that. They will absolutely be in a match where it's going to, going to be back and forward with penalties more prominent than, than tries. Do you think it'll be then like a, a an old school grind then? So it'll be a case of defense on defense and penalties coming down to it. I do. I, I think we're going to be in for a scoreline of, of uh, you know, something like 20 points to 18, not rather than something like uh, 35, 30. I definitely think that's what we're going to see. Yeah, it, I do think it will be a close match because, it, like the the vibe I get is that the um, the they are quite strong in both in in very similar areas in terms of having a really strong forward pack, but also a backline that is increasingly showing a lot of class. And I think that's been a testament to the progression of the Jaguars this season. Because at the start of the season, I would have argued that they would have been a more that their forward pack was really what was their main go for but their backs have really stood up this season um and kind of like looking forward um because we have kind of danced around this topic a little bit over the course of this interview but you've talked a lot about the uh about how Ledesma uh, will be going with this team uh once the super rugby season is over um how do you think the this all of a lot of the uh the depth and a lot of the growth that this team has had will translate into uh, the Pumas going into the rugby championship and then eventually into the World Cup? Yes, uh, I believe that for the rugby championship, we're we're going to only really know after the final because it's going to start two weeks after the final. And there are already people debating who should be playing and who shouldn't be. Should we be resting these guys? Because the first game's against the All Blacks. It's in Buenos Aires. Uh, but it's a case of, well, you know, we've got these guys like uh, Crevi, Lavanini, uh, Matera. Should they not be resting now? They've been playing nonstop. So let's see how they go there. Hopefully, hopefully they, they do uh, tune the numbers and see really if, if they're in that position or not. Because, for example, last year uh, we had Sanchez, who was 
at the Haguares then, and uh, he was playing nonstop and didn't get a break. Mm. And they actually they actually didn't break uh, rest him even for the, the June internationals or the rugby championship. So so I think that it's it's kind of unknown at this point who who's going to be playing that match. The second game's one week later in Brisbane against the Wallabies. I think we're going to see the strongest side for that. I do think we're going to see uh, European players. Like I suspect uh, we can mark down already Facundo uh, Issa to be playing at eight, Nicolas Sanchez at 10 de- as definites and, and probably put in Juan Figasho at tight head for starting those matches. And then at the World Cup itself, I think we're going to see probably uh, similar to that respect, but there'll be a couple of more uh, European guys on the bench uh, for the World Cup, like ben- Benjamin Urtepichieta from Castre. He- he'll be the reserve fly half. However, uh, there is a debate uh, starting to come along now because of Super Rugby, because we had uh, uh, good performances from multiple fly halves. I mean, Joaquin Diaz, Bonisha was fantastic against the Brombies. Uh, Domingo Miotti is a rookie. He's been very good also at fly half. So, I mean, the departure of Sanchez uh, actually gave these guys the opportunities to generally go come through, and uh, they've done that. So there's a debate there in terms of who's going to be back up to Sanchez, but I would, would say I'd appreciate this as the front runner for that position, certainly. Uh, but we, we, are, we, we are going to have uh, a roster which uh, is not uh, marked down firmly until post-rugby championship because there are going to be legitimate uh, fights in, in multiple positions which, which we don't know yet. And this is even from actual players within Haguares. There are, there are debates over, for example, who are the wingers going to be. Is it going to be Moshano and Delgi? Because those two have both been injured uh, this season. But they, they are the front runners, especially because they, the Ledesma didn't pick Cordero Imhoff from Europe, who are the, arguably the, the, the top Argentine wingers in the world. But, but because Haguadas happened to have uh, quality wingers regardless, that they just simply weren't, weren't selected. And so it's really interesting just, just to to see which direction they're going. I've got a, my, my own idea of what the team will be, of course. But uh, ultimately, I, I think they're in a far stronger uh, position in terms of domestic players than, than certainly prior World Cups. This project of Haguadis has really helped that. Yeah, and it, but it is kind of interesting you, you touch on that, if, that going, in, going past the Rugby Championship I mean, and going into that World Cup, I mean, I think Ledes—it's. I think Ledesma, probably of all the coaches in in the World Cup, is in a is in a very interesting position because Argentina is in the toughest pool. You've got England and and France as well, so you you are going to have a tier one nation who is going to miss out. And I find it interesting because Ledesma obviously was was un, was under Checker um, when Australia was in that position four years ago. Um, Looking kind of, and I kind of find that position interesting. What is the expectation for? I mean, is there um, obviously there's an, a bit more of a of expectation among a lot of uh, South American and Argentine fans uh, for the Pumas to do better, even despite the fact that they're going to have a very tough uh, tough run against you know against obviously England who are playing very well and 
in France who look like they've been they're, they're starting to come back into some sort of form? Yes. Well, the official uh, Ledesma's uh, stated uh, objective is minimum quarterfinal finish. Um, the, the quarterfinals, uh, as they are, uh, are are favourable because of the fact that uh, New Zealand and South Africa will be on the other side from that of uh, Argentina. So if they are to play each other, it won't be uh, in the quarterfinals. So that's that's uh, helpful in that respect. But no one's really thinking beyond the polls, having said that, because first up, Argentina have France, and of course that's massive, as, as you've pointed out. Uh, I do think that, yes, France are, are rebuilding and improving. However, the, this World Cup is, is just one cycle too early for them. Uh, France uh, will not be a force in this World Cup. They will be a uh, uh, potential team, but they're not going to be a team to consistently perform. Uh, England, obviously, are uh, a safe bet to win the group. However, uh, that's not a given. Uh, Argentina can certainly win that uh, win that match. Just just looking off how Guadalajara and looking off how the players based in Europe have been performing, definitely that's a match they can win. Of course, that's what they're going to try to do. Uh, both Tonga and the United States are, are going to be uh, teams which are going to be hard to beat. They're not going to be uh, teams which would uh, which will uh, Argentina, France, or England will be able to rack up sixty points against. I don't think uh, they're both in their own regards uh, strong. Especially the United States is the strongest Eagles side ever. Uh, Tonga are hit and miss. Definitely, uh, they haven't been that good during this past World Cup cycle. But they are they are going to as they as they always do get eligible players uh, from especially New Zealand to, to to boost their roster and this is why it's really important to have a strong roster all through and not only a strong twenty three because you're going to need to give players a rest in certain matches and have uh, other guys stand up and, and start this, these games just just. That's just the nature of how the World Cup's structured. This is also one of the things I always notice notice when it comes to Ireland, because uh, Ireland, if, if you watch them play June internationals, November internationals, or Six Nations, <clears throat> you'll notice that uh, we're talking about three weeks of matches, and they will basically always rotate for one of those matches, especially if they have a home game against the Tier 2 side, which they usually do in, in November. Uh, and that World Cups, you don't have that because you're playing every week or depending on the schedule you have, even more than that. And you even look at how Ireland approached European rugby well, in, the, in the Pro 14, the, the, the top Irish names just don't play. They only play home matches, usually against other Irish sides. You don't see guys like Johnny Sexton playing against the Ospreys or playing against Zebre. Uh and so you have this really strong Irish side in that regard, but it's inflated because they don't have to play together week in, week out. This is the difference between Haguais and what we're seeing in the Super Rugby this year. It's the same guys effectively playing week in, week out. They don't, they're not having uh, rotation strictly uh, with uh, effectively a B-side playing a lot of the games. And so this is a major, major advantage for certain teams, especially what, uh, 
uh, has been true for uh, the, the Super Rugby sides over the, the prior World Cup cycles. And now Argentina can be added to that. And uh, so a lot of the talk about, for example, the strong teams from Europe, Ireland, Wales, England. Yes, they are all very strong. Scotland, too, by their standards, are very strong for this World Cup. However, just the structure of the World Cup, as is I is mentioned, in terms of you don't get a break. You're playing uh, once a week or, or, or even less, depending on your schedule. This is something which very, very much will work in, in favor of Argentina, also work in favor of, of the Wallabies. Yeah, and I do think it is interesting, although... It has kind of been a, a topic in of in previous years, particularly sometimes here in Australia, of sometimes working the players too much, um, even kind of given the length of the season and given how long we play. Do you think that that may become a factor, or do you think now that because these players have um, have worked would have pretty much played a, a consistent season and actually had a lot of success, it will uh, work more in their favour come World Cup time? It's going to work very much in favor of the of the Super Rugby nations, very much. Uh, I would even add to that uh, a country like Italy is more prepared in this regard than than Ireland, even though Ireland obviously has much much better players and and depth. I mean, the Irish second side is better than the English uh, Italian first side, but just that structure. Uh, we saw at the last World Cup, uh, Ireland, they, they were extremely good against France, extremely good. And then from there, the next match, they fell against Argentina. So what happened? Well, that was the quarterfinal, of course. And in that situation, Ireland happened to, to, to have fielded their top names against France, and, and a couple of them just, just got hurt and missed, missed out on the quarterfinal. And that's something they just could not adjust to. And uh, we have seen that also in prior cycles. And uh, so I'm, I'm very much uh, of, of the, the view that, that uh, although there are very strong teams from the north, I think the structure of World Cups will again favor those from the south. Yeah, and I think that is an interesting point to to, to touch on. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll cut, we'll finish up here. So for everyone, the this weekend the Jaguars will be heading off to Christchurch to to face the Crusaders, and what should be a really awesome game. What is your prediction, um, by the way, Paul? I know you mentioned it was going to be a close one, but do you think the uh, the Jaguars have a chance to win it, or are you going to back the Crusaders? Yep, close match. Crusaders are favorites to win probably by uh, three points. Uh, so because that's a, a close call, then anything can happen. Yeah, I do agree. I think it will be a close match too. As my my head says Crusaders, but as I, I would rather the Jaguars win just because it has been so, such a joy to watch them play uh, this year. And it's and it, it's nice to, it would be nice to kind of, break the monotony of the Crusaders in their dominance of the competition so far. Um, so for everyone listening, uh, you can check out Paul uh, at Argentina underscore 2027. Um, just for curiosity, that's a, you're, you're, you're currently really kind of one of the most vocal proponents for Argentina getting a World Cup in the next few years. Um, do you think this season has been an indication that Argentina uh, would be a good place to host the World Cup going forward? Yes, certainly. Uh... Buenos Aires is one of those big hub cities in the world, which has uh, it's a large number of flights uh, 
from many, many places. So it's highly accessible. Large city, uh, about 18 million people. It's got good stadiums. Uh, obviously, they could be uh, upgraded. Uh, there's talk of that already because of uh, Copa America, which is 2020. It's going to have be co-hosted with Argentina and Colombia. But also, they, they're, they're bidding uh, together with Uruguay, Paraguay, and Chile. They want to host this, the, the FIFA World Cup in 2030. So if that happens, you're gonna, going to see um, massive upgrades. But they hosted the Copa America last time in 2011. And for that, they did already upgrade everything. And so the, they've got the stadiums in place. Argentina already happened to, to play their matches uh, nationwide. For example, uh, Wallaby supporters will, will struggle to remember the last time that there was a match against Argentina in Buenos Aires. And that's because during the rugby championship era, they haven't even played there. They've always been playing in other cities. Rosario, Mendoza, Salta. And so there's, a, there's even a new stadium now being constructed in a city called Santiago del Estero, which is going to be similar to the Gold Coast uh, venue. Uh, uh, 28,000 capacity, but that's all you need for a city we're talking about here. And uh, Argentina has a... Uh, it's got everything that you, you would ask for for a host nation. It's hosted big events in the past. And uh, I definitely have absolutely no doubts as a person to have uh, researched it myself and also have to visited the country that it absolutely has uh, precisely what World Rugby would require from a host. Yeah, and it is, and it would be a fun, uh, a fun different kind of venue to to watch and enjoy rugby from. Um, awesome. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Paul. Um, always a pleasure having you and talking, and all the best. Uh, for, for the Jaguares this weekend. Yes, thank you. Uh, my pleasure. Cheers. So that was Paul Tate, a.k.a. Argentina underscore 2027, having a chat to us about Argentine rugby and the Jaguares as they get ready for their grand final match this weekend against the Crusaders, which should be an absolutely awesome game. So that'll wrap us up for this uh, episode of the Dropped Kickoff. Um, and... Um, if you have any thoughts or comments, be sure to shoot us a message. Who do you think is going to win this weekend? Do you think the Jaguars have a chance of, uh, of winning? Um, and also let us know about, um, anything else you would like us to cover in the comments section as well. Uh, thank you very much, always, and uh, we'll catch you the next time around. Well, what did go wrong? I'll have to look, look and think about it, think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Shirley Bombo? Bit of genius, bit of magic. Shirley Bombo, very interesting, very good, yeah. Very good. Three cheers for Shirley Bombo, very good, very good.